I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as we go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. We are honored to welcome Regional President at PNC Bank and Exec Club Board Chair Scott Swanson to the Executives Exchange today. Swanson shares how he fell in love with the city of Chicago, his passion for banking, and how those two things intersect in the best ways at PNC Bank. Join us as we dive into his story. Hi, Scott. Well, hello, Margaret. Thank you for being here. You're the it's first one to be, to be in this home studio. Normally we do this virtually and you've come to our offices yeah. today, which is so exciting. Well, it is. It's great to be in the offices here. Um, for those who may not know who are listening, you are the regional president for PNC Bank. You also lead 16 regions across the Midwest. And most importantly for me, you are our board chair of the Executives Club of Chicago. We're working together to elevate the mission of the club in Chicago's business community. It's been such an honor and privilege to work with you. We've worked so closely these last four years. Yeah, It's been really great and um, really fun. And now I get to interview you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a thrill to be here. Actually, the, the office is lively today. It's wonderful to see everyone here and Certainly, we've appreciated your leadership and so excited about all the great work that the Exec Club is doing. Thank you. So a lot of people know that you have a long, deep-seated commitment to Chicago, starting from childhood, but you weren't born here. So explain to people how this passion for Chicago emerged. Yeah, I, uh, I actually was born in Illinois, but not actually in Chicago. But my parents were, and uh, all four of my grandparents immigrated to Chicago. So so this really became the foundation of our family. And so uh, Chicago was really where... Uh, my father grew up in Logan Square, my mom, Norwood Park, um, and so aunts, uncles, cousins were here. Uh, and so this is really where we spent a lot of our holidays or summer vacations. And I, I absolutely fell in love with Chicago and felt a very special connection to Chicago and my relatives that were here. So uh, I actually ultimately was, uh, was raised in Tucson, Arizona, uh, due to a professional opportunity for my father, um, but, uh, but moved back to, uh, to Illinois to go to the University of Illinois. In Champaign, and I've never looked back. I've been I-L-L. Been, yeah, I and I. Tucson's a little warmer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, so good, still good to get out there for a break. Yeah, really nice. So you have a lot of family who influenced you growing up. Who influenced you the most? It would be tough to say that I had one unique influencer. I really feel, you know, you, you kind of say it takes a village or it takes yeah. a family. I, I really benefited from uh, having two absolutely wonderful parents. Um, you know, who played different roles. My father was a prof- an economics professor, uh, very involved as a father, but also uh, really I learned a lot from him, the way that, uh, that he embraced his craft as a, as a wonderful professor, a teaching professor, uh, really piqued my interest certainly in economics and in business, but, uh, but also just the way he approached life, extremely positive human being to everybody he interacted with. He, he, one of the kindest people I've ever known. And really I learned a lot from him in the way that he influenced others through, you know, through kindness and through, through, uh, th- through how supportive he was of others. My mother, I would say was, was a little more of the disciplinarian. She, uh, uh, I don't think I've ever had a bigger fan. She very much instilled a confidence and belief that anything was possible. But also she was, she was a little more hard charging in terms of really uh, kind of ensuring I, I continued to push myself to, to do my best in, in all that I endeavored. And uh, so it was the combination of those influences that really, uh, really formed me. Um, but there was one other, one other family member that really had a, a huge impact from my earliest memories, and that was my paternal grandmother, uh, who 
you know, I'd raised her family in Chicago, and uh, I just had a very, very a uniquely strong connection to her and, and great admiration for kind of for her life, um, the, the way that she kind of fought through adversity and, uh-huh. and supported her family. Um, it had a big, big influence on me. What was her name? Alice Swanson. Alice Swanson. Yeah. Um, what did she do that was so resilient? What, give me an example of something. Well, you know, she, she really took the time. Uh, one, she was incredibly attentive. So I felt as if I had somebody that I really developed a, a really great bond with. And uh, she was intellectually curious. She loved the city. Uh, and so we often spent time together exploring Chicago. So, you know, from, you know, from the time I was seven or eight years old, we'd jump on the blue line. Oh my uh, gosh, she, how fun. Yeah, the Harlem L stop was where we'd get on. We'd go downtown. Uh, she actually always liked me to understand the grid of the city. So we yeah. we actually, early on, would always start at State and Madison because she wanted me to understand that that was the zero, was zero, the zero, zero uh-huh. from which the city builds out. But she wanted me to understand the, you know, the neighborhoods and the, uh, you know, the nooks and crannies of the city and understand kind of both its history and, and where it was and, and got me very excited. And I think those early days uh, kind of ensured that Chicago and my future in Chicago yeah. became uh, woven into my DNA. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, of course, you loved it. That Absolutely. sounds like such a special time yeah. with you and your yeah. grandmother. Yeah. Like, you, that's so precious. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that... Uh, that she really had an impact on too was was me kind of ultimately determining how I would spend some of my time in getting involved in other organizations. And so when I was very young, she would take me to the museums. But the museum we would go to most often uh, was the Adler Planetarium. Uh, I I always and had you're really fascination for the stars and and having you know spent my uh, formative years in Tucson, Arizona, I enjoyed beautiful night skies. Oh, yeah. and and. Uh, and, and always had a curiosity, but I remember sitting in the Sky Theater at the Adler Planetarium with what was in place at the time, the Zeiss projector, and staring up at the stars and learning about, uh, you know, learning about our solar system and, and constellations and just the limitlessness of, of, of space. And, and it just, uh, it were very special memories I had with her, but also uh, it really piqued my interest on uh, space, space science, and, and I've continued to stay involved there. You are. You're on the board there, too. Yeah. Um, so anyone who knows you knows how important family is to you. Uh, you raised your family in the city, which I love. Yeah. I have too. Did you ever consider moving? And I'm asking because I'm on a personal campaign, as you know, to get more people <laughs> to raise their kids in the city. Yeah. Nothing against the suburbs. They're lovely. I have plenty of friends who live there. I grew up there. But I think so many people just feel that that's what they're supposed to do. Like, yeah. have kids? Well, time to move to the suburbs. And I don't think they consider all the benefits of raising kids in the city. So help me with my campaign. <laughs> Give me yeah. my talking points. Yeah. Why no. you raised your kids here and why it's great. Absolutely. You know, well, one of the, one, it's, it's obviously a partnership. So my wife, Ron, and I shared it. We had a shared passion for recognizing, um, you know, a love of the city, a real interest in an environment that we thought we could create for for a potential family at the time. And uh, and I think neither one of us uh, really had an interest in uh, in any particular suburb. I mean, some people are influenced by having family in a suburb, and we didn't have that dynamic. And right. so, what we loved most about Chicago was actually the city. <laughs> yeah. And we both, uh, to this day, are energized by you know the the humanity of the city, the density of the city, all that it has to offer. So, 
So we never really debated. We never had that moment where we said, gosh, should we be moving to, to the suburbs? We, you know, we were fortunate in that we uh, had a nice path that we felt very good about for our children's education. Um, but we also wanted them to be an environment where they were exposed to the complexities of an urban environment, of the diversity of an environment. And actually, you know, I think one of the, obviously having had both my parents grow up in the city, uh, I'm certain I had some influence, but, but also I do remember back at the University of Illinois meeting kids who grew up in the city and yes, whenever I would, too. you know, and I, you know, I having grown up, uh, in Tucson, Arizona as a teen and they were comparing our lifestyles. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what an experience. Yeah. I would love to be able yeah. to provide that experience for my children. And so that was, you know, truly, uh, all of those, you know, experiences kind of helped to influence and, and Rhonda and I, uh, you know, were very committed on that journey. And it's, and now as my kids have gotten older, uh, they're they're very appreciative because they yeah. do feel as if they've got a, um, a a better perspective on life, on people, on certainly you know diversity and inclusion and and challenges that right. we may face in the city that you may not be aware of or certainly not exposed to in the same way, but they feel as if it's enriched their lives. Yeah, I had the same experience. U of I is what really opened my eye to all this. I'm like, what do you mean? wait? You grew up like. Yeah. In the city? Like, how does that work? And then realize they had an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, but I hear you also have a green thumb. So how do you do that in the city? Yeah. What sparked that hobby? And tell yeah. me about your city yeah. garden. Well, uh, you know, both of my parents very much enjoyed uh, landscaping and our outdoors. And, and, of course, in my childhood, a lot of that was in the, the Arizona desert. Uh, and, in fact, at, early, at an early age, I, I had a little side business of landscaping because it was a, a nice way to make money in the, in the desert. But, I, uh, but we always had beautiful yards, uh, whether it's planters or, or lawns or other things. And in the desert, you had to get a little more creative yeah, in right. the beautiful Midwest. But um, I always very much appreciated that, and I participated in those activities with, with my parents. Uh, and so now living in the city, in a city home where you know we have planters on decks and things, I still love... To me, it's just a nice therapeutic escape. Yeah. I love to go out and kind of putter. It's funny, in my neighborhood, and I've lived in the kind of a three-block radius for 35 years. Yeah, me too. I haven't gone <laughs> so far either. <laughs> I, uh, people are used to city, seeing me, certainly in the springtime, puttering around outside in the front, kind of getting the getting my front uh, you know, nicely landscaped or prepared for the next season. And But I, I do the same on the decks. And I always feel good about kind of the environment I create by... by yeah, by creating yeah. or helping to support growing beautiful little planter gardens. And okay, critical question. Do you plant yeah. flowers before Mother's Day? It depends. I take it, you know, I'll take a chance. The, we've had such mild winters uh, that I do take a chance, uh, or I have uh, certainly over the last five or 10 years. I'd say, you know, 20 years ago, you'd never do that. Yeah. But, but now we have had more mild, and I, I'm willing to take a chance. Okay. <laughs> so I do more often if I can get it. I love that refreshed look when you get yes. when you get all that winter yeah. kind of crud out of there and, and put some color in your yard. I know. It's good. Okay. So tell me about your very first job, what yeah. you learned from it. What's a lesson that you yeah. still carry with you today? You know, my first real job actually was selling and installing car stereos. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so one, it, it kind of made, it, it did turn me into a bit of an audiophile because we, I, I have a love of music. and um, But I had to learn to work with, you know, this was in the early 80s, uh, car stereos generally uh, uh, were very poor. The, the, the original equipment in most cars was bad. And there was a real, at that time, a real proliferation of aftermarket equipment so you could upgrade your stereo and speakers and things. Uh -huh. And so... 
I really had to learn to, uh, you know, engage with customers, uh, kind of determine what their needs right. were, their price point was, and try to figure out how we could create the best sound system given any set of resources that we could. And then I also had to install it, which meant I was, you know, I was getting on the floor mats going under, I was wiring in the stereos, I would, I would cut out holes to put in speakers in the cars, and I really wanted to create a, uh, you know, my joy was when that that car owner, that customer came in and turned on the stereo for the first time, having had yeah. a very, very you know, poor quality system to then hear this great sound. And, right. and so that was a lot of fun. And I took great pride in um, in my product, my craft. And yeah. um, so I did that for many years. That was a, a great way to make money through high school and actually into college. It was, uh, you know, it, it, I learned lots of different skills. I also learned to work with a lot of people from very different backgrounds. I mean, I was this kind of part-time you know, part-time high school and, and college student, but almost everyone else in that uh, that worked for that particular company, uh, you know, looked at it as a full-time job or a career. Right. So it did really open up my eyes to the different paths of um, and how we work together. I actually had a, an incredible time with this group, and uh, and so yeah, it was it was you know many many important life lessons that have impacted me today. Yeah. Well, and I know you're commenting on our sure microphones. We'll give a little shout out to <laughs> yeah, them and Chris. Absolutely. Uh, Scott approves of our audio setup yeah. here as an expert. Um, so you went to U of I. Did you think you were going to go into banking? Well, so, you know, I started out at U of I in pre-med. So I oh did have, I did actually have a real interest in uh, in pre-med through high school. I also had an interest in business, certainly uh, in part through influences of my father and, um, and economics. But uh but I did. I had some great role models in my neighborhood, uh, friends who were doctors, and I just had great uh, respect for the profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started out my first semester freshman year at Illinois as a, as pre med. So. And then what happened? Uh, you know, I, I realized after the first semester that uh, you know that finance or accounting sounded a lot more interesting. <laughs> it, it was uh, my passion for the industry was compromised probably by. Uh, by the path I needed to take academically, yeah. you really have to, that passion has to be unwavering to go through. That's a, it obviously was a very, very difficult program. Yeah. Um, also at that time, there was a lot going on on Wall Street and the business community. Yeah. Uh, while, while people may have a, a mixed view of his legacy, you know, at that time, you know, guys like Michael Milken and, you know, the development of the junk bond market and things right. was, was kind of headline news on a regular basis. And there was a lot of excitement about business. And I think that that really energized the foundation of my interest in business through my, my father in economics. And so I then, you know, by my sophomore year, really got much more deeply into a, a finance and accounting discipline. Okay, so you started out as an accountant. I did, I did. How long did that last? Uh, that lasted about two years. <laughs> uh, but it, it's interesting. I really was at a tug of war in graduating as to whether or not I'd go into finance or into yeah. accounting. Mm-hmm. At the time, Arthur Anderson was the largest accounting firm in uh, in the world, based in Chicago, uh, really known for an incredible training program. And so it really became almost too hard to pass up. So I just thought, you know yeah. what, I'm never going to regret experience. And by the way, and they recruit heavily day, out of U of I. I mean, it's they make do. it really they easy do. to start. And there. so, uh, and and frankly, the the network I developed in 1988, 1989, still is leveraged to this day. That's how strong yeah. that that start class uh, bonded and what I learned through that. Um, but by 1990, I I realized, you know what. 
I, you know, my passion is definitely much more, as I learned much more about the industry, it was yeah. more in banking. And I joined First Chicago, and actually it's American National Bank subsidiary in, yeah. in commercial banking. Um, I was just having this conversation with someone. What percentage of Chicago's business leaders started out at Arthur Anderson or First Chicago? I mean, it's got to be it's, it's a pretty huge it's percent. Pretty incredible. I mean, yeah. you go back with almost anyone, and they seem to have started at one of those two. Yeah, no, those are, those are the foundation for so many careers. Um, so you, I would say, probably know the Chicago baking landscape better than anyone I know. So I'll just start with that. But first, what do you love about banking generally and banking in Chicago in particular? Yeah. Well, what I love about banking is is the role that we can play with business. I mean, and and or an individual in terms of the the ways that we can partner, advise, provide solutions, provide capital. Um, and I've always thought, you know, people people have different levels of you know are always willing to take different levels of of risk. And one of the things I love is. I, I've always been able to live vicariously, but be a key partner to business owners for which I have tremendous respect. Right. So it's amazing what you can do in banking in terms of learning about hundreds of different types of businesses, different leadership styles, different histories. Uh, and, and I just got inspired by that. And so it was, you know, I got more and more excited as my career evolved to know that we could really be an influential partner on the long-term success or the near-term success of a business and, uh, and and I myself could learn more about you know how things are made or produced or services are provided and and so I just love that dynamic about our industry and it's what keeps it fresh every day. Yeah. So what's special about the banking industry in Chicago? Well, uh, you know, you made the reference to uh, to the history of, of First Chicago, <laughs> but there were there were a, a couple of uh, banks that had national reputations. Uh, First Chicago and Continental Bank obviously were were the two that were you know had the biggest legacies if you look at. Um, you know, the connectivity into our banking landscape today. But what's interesting about Chicago is we truly have more banks than virtually any other city in the country. So it is a very, very uh, uh, capacity-laden environment for banking. There's a real benefit to that, uh, I think, for business. I I think at times we don't even recognize the fact that we are providing more potential sources of capital or more optionality from the financial services sector to right. businesses that are based here. And I think it's something that, that really does give us an advantage because yeah. it, it, with, with the ability to access capital, to provide solutions, non, non-credit solutions. Um, and, uh, uh, but it is competitive. I mean, we are, uh, you know, uh, the combination of it being somewhat incestuous because of the backgrounds of so many, we know where one another started or where we're at, but, uh, but because there are a lot of us out there, we're, we're competing every right. day. Uh, but it's a healthy, it's a healthy and friendly competition. I yeah. Think. Well, you're competitive, but you also seem so collaborative. And I don't know if this is just you, because I've been watching you for a few years now, and you seem to have so much partnership with these banks, and you're always trying to pull them in and do things together, and um, are complementing them and what they're doing. Is that unique to you? Is that unique to Chicago, or is that just? banking is it you know it's collaborative yeah, I, yeah. and competitive i do i do think it's a bit unique to chicago i think it, it it's a it's a reflective of the the more pervasive kind of public private partnership that sense of civic uh responsibility that business leaders feel that and and banks are uniquely positioned to play a very important role both for consumers our communities our businesses uh, and so, you know, I think there are things that we realize uh, we all benefit from from stronger communities. We all right. benefit from uh, really helping those that are most disadvantaged. And so there are ways that we can support one another in 
in programs, um, in the sponsorship of activities that one another may have. And so I, I do feel as if there's that, that sense of mutual respect, knowing that we truly are going to accomplish much more together. Yeah. And we'll leave the competition on the, uh, to the, uh, I suppose, to the customer front. But, yeah. um, but it really is, I, I do feel a great sense of support when we have causes or efforts that we know are going to be for the greater good. I know. I see it. I feel it. And that's why I wanted to ask about it. Because yeah. if you looked at you and your how many peers that you have here in yeah. Chicago at the big banks, like you seem like you're great partners. Yeah. It, it, it it's a, one of the strengths yeah. of, of certainly of Chicago. What is one of the big assumptions people have about banking that's fundamentally wrong? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're always in kind of a tug of war in terms of, um, uh, expectations on the role that banks can play. We're in a heavily regulated environment, so we all, you know, we're all going to be in a position where we have to balance our regulatory requirements with what we can do um, to help to support uh, communities in need, to provide access to capital for businesses of all sizes, to to, to really help to support financial education. And uh, at times it, it can be adversarial when in fact, if you truly get to know, Chicago is a great example, the leaders of the banks, the, the values of financial institutions here, um, the, the intentions are, uh, are all very well aligned for those same outcomes. But yeah. but the set of, of rules uh, and policies and things that we work through to accomplish it. Now, we can all do better. And we're all going to, in fact, you know, recently many of us uh, worked with um, the chief financial officers of the, the city and the state of Chicago and, and the state of Illinois through advancing equity and banking. We formed an uh, advancing equity and banking commission to, to really um, in part be self-reflective on kind of what we think is working, not working, determine if there are things that we could really uh, leverage from one another uh, to provide better financial literacy and opportunity, accessibility. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was incredibly productive. I, and I certainly give credit to Treasurer Kanyers-Irvin and, and Treasurer Frerichs on their leadership and efforts uh, for shared initiatives and outcomes. Yep. Okay, so we should talk specifically about PNC Bank. Yeah. This year you're celebrating your 10-year yeah. anniversary. Hard to believe. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. Uh, share with us your journey to PNC. What attracted you to that bank in particular and why it's been the best place for you to really catapult your career? Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly that's the headline. I'm, I'm, I feel very, very fortunate uh, at being a part of PNC today. But, you know, but I spent, uh, you know, 17 years coming up through a very consolidating industry, through First Chicago, First Chicago NBD, Bank One, J.P. Morgan. Through that, I was presented lots of different opportunities to help me grow uh, as a professional within our industry to get lots of different experiences. Um, I, I left JP Morgan to become the president and CEO of Charter One Bank, which was a part of Royal Bank of Scotland, one of the largest banks in the world at the time. That's a big move. And it was a big move. It was, uh, but it truly was a kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. It gave me an opportunity to be grounded in Chicago, to be based in Chicago, but actually to lead lead a bank. And I led the banks in, in Illinois and in Michigan, and uh, and I had had, the, had wonderful influences throughout my career, and and felt as if I could uh, you know build a bank and help to form yeah. the bank in in kind of the the best of those characteristics that I enjoyed through my influences and. Uh, I, I did that. Actually, I'll, I'll share the timing and anybody in financial services will kind of know what I navigated through. I, so I started in that role in 2007 uh -huh. uh, and I ended up running the bank for six years. Um, but as you can imagine, that meant I ran the bank through the Great Recession. So I, I learned lots of I had lots of very valuable experiences, but also went through uh, kind of the difficulties of navigating uh, the bank through those times. Um, 
one of the banks that I, uh, I had great respect for that was navigating the, the recession particularly well, that I thought really emulated a lot of the values that I, I certainly espoused, uh, was PNC. And PNC, actually, its foray into Chicago really had come through its acquisition of National City. National City was a bank of similar size, but, but had been impacted by, uh, by the mortgage banking crisis. PNC uh, was uniquely strong at that period and was able to, uh, to acquire Nat City and then immediately uh, was given, you know, provided an imprint into Chicago through that, through that acquisition. Ultimately, uh, as it was looking at Chicago, and at the time Chicago was the largest city PNC was operating in the country because we really, really didn't have operations in New York or L.A., yeah. This was a bit of a different, different type of market than than PNC had been used to, which has been a you know a very successful bank in mid-sized cities throughout the Mid Atlantic and Midwest, and uh, and so I was approached as they were as they were really looking to uh, to grow and accelerate their success here, and they were seeking uh, a leader who they thought both knew this region, this environment, knew a lot about um, banking, and uh, and could actually help to to take that the bank to what they they had aspired. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so in 2013, I joined PNC, uh, and, and it's just been a, a tremendous run. Yeah, I mean, it's grown tremendously yeah. under your leadership. I see it everywhere. Yeah, no, well, thank you. We're, no, we're, we feel very fortunate. It's been a, it really has been incredible at, at the opportunity we've been presented to, to continue to grow and provide value to, to customers across all of our businesses. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shore Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shore microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shore lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. And you have a lot of strong partnerships and philanthropic efforts in Chicago. We could not talk about them all. There are many, <laughs> many, but I do want to touch on two of them. Yeah. First, Chicago Bears. Yes. You are their sponsor. Um, how has that partnership changed PNC's role in Chicagoland? Was that was that big for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, we are the official bank of the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 you know, as I highlighted earlier, I, you know, I'm a multi generational Chicagoan. The Bears have been in my blood and my family's blood. Uh, you know. Throughout the time we've been been here, um, so once once I had the opportunity to be leading the bank here, one of the things we were looking to do is to find those kinds of partnerships or relationships that really would help people to understand that we are very much all in in Chicago. That we are a Chicago bank. We have thousands of employees that call Chicago home, and uh, and I was I was aware of the the Bears' historic relationships with with another financial institution, and so we approached them about considering, um, you know, alternatives just to just to at least recognize there may be you know another opportunity for for an official bank of the Chicago Bears, uh-huh. and so we went through. Ultimately, obviously, we went through that process successfully, and uh, and I can remember actually when Ted Phillips and I were. Uh, were first interviewed when we made the announcement. Uh, actually, the Chicago Tribune asked uh, if PNC was changing its colors uh, to orange and blue because of the Bears. It turns out our colors already were orange and blue, so I just said it was fate. Uh-huh. But, but I'll tell you that the important thing of that partnership, one, we have great respect for the family, our shared values, the way we've worked together. 
Uh, I mean, we, you know, thrilled that we truly are their bank, but also we're able to to leverage our, our partnership together yeah. in so many other ways. But, uh, you know, the external announcement was a lot of fun. All of the, the kind of the rollout, and we continue to have some fun with the way that we advertise and leverage it together. But I'll tell you, the most exciting call I had was the internal call, because being able to announce to thousands of employees uh, on a call that we were about to announce publicly the partnership, it just it did create this just kind of great kind of joy and sense of commitment that they are at a bank that is clearly now deeply committed to Chicago, which has an impact on things like you know, their careers and where they're at. And so I really enjoyed the benefit uh, and the joy we, I saw in our employees knowing that, you know what, I'm at a company that is all in in Chicago, which means so much for me. You know, right. we've, we've talked about the banking industry and how people have moved around. Lots of people have been at at least a handful of different banks throughout. And I, I want people to feel as if they've joined PNC for a career and realize that we are all in here, that the opportunity is is limitless, and, and I want you to be a part of the right. PNC family. And that, that helped to assert that. Yeah, this isn't just about swapping logos on the stadium, no, which we've no. seen happen in some other no, places. No, right. <laughs> um, so Chicago is such a big sports town, and obviously PNC supports other professional sports teams in all the cities you operate. Yeah. What is different about the relationship between professional sports and the business community in Chicago? Because it's just so intertwined. It it's is. such a big deal it here. We're, we're just a, a great sports town. Obviously, we have so many professional sports. It's right. wonderful with football and baseball team. But when you look at how this operates in other cities that PNC is in, what is different about Chicago? I honestly think part of the difference is that that sense of, you know, the business owners of these teams are also residents of our city. I mean, you know, you've got families that are every bit as deeply ingrained in the future of our city uh, as any of us are in business. And so they they really look at, uh, you know, in leading our teams and the way that we celebrate sports, also at, at what the impact that they can have in the community. So I, I think there's this great combination and the leaders of teams are so engaged in uh, in the business community, knowing that you know, they're, they've got a seat at the table in terms of ensuring we're, we're really all focused on how to make Chicago better. Yeah, and they have a new CEO. Kevin Warren, what are you most yeah. excited about his leadership? Well, you know, listen, I, I, I have been aware of Kevin. Certainly, you know, he had spent time in the NFL um, previously, but obviously as a fighting Illini. Uh, yes. He, uh, he did a wonderful job for the Big Ten and his leadership there. And, uh, and so, you know, Ted Phillips, who I, you know, I congratulate on his retirement, really did an incredible job as, as president and CEO. And, and so this was a very, you know, the, the bar was set high, but I think, you know what, they knocked it out of the park. I think Kevin is just going to be fantastic for the family, for the team, for Chicago. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm very excited to be working with him. Okay. The other big initiative that I want to talk about that you have is the Grow Up Great program. Tell us more about it and why you've chosen to lean into this particular Yeah, yeah this, I, this is a fantastic program. You know, we as a company actually have committed over a half a billion dollars to early childhood education. You know, early childhood education is one of the things where you recognize by investing in a child's development at the earliest stages of life, ages which we characterize as ages one to four, you know, we've realized through science and, and through the investments we've made and through advisory we've gotten from great leaders in a place like Chicago that, that that has a profound impact on their success in life. 
that preparedness in that first four years in their formation. So in Chicago, we've, uh, we've granted over $15 million to early childhood education programs. Um, and you know, I always think about it as an investment we have in our earliest generation. That is the future of Chicago. And so what we, you know, anything we can do to help to ensure from that early investment on their success in education and in life, you know, really helps to you know, determine the future of our, our city. You know, it really, we get very excited knowing that we're, at least on the margin, making a difference and hoping that yeah. bring awareness and get others to help invest. Well, yeah, and like Heckman and others at the University yeah. of Chicago, I mean, really demonstrated what a big impact you can have there. Like Diana Rauner's work. I Absolutely. Mean, there's so much and, in and Chicago. And Dana Susskind uh, yes, at the University of right. Chicago. She, you know, so we are fortunate here in Chicago that we have some of the thought leaders uh, and, and supporters of early childhood education that are having a national influence right, right here in Chicago. Right. And so we're really excited that we've had an opportunity to partner with all of them. I know we share two alma maters, not one, but <laughs> yes, two. Yes, we do. I am a, I am a fellow Booth alum. <laughs> um, I also know from working with you personally how much of a supporter you are of working parents. You are in a dual career family. You yes. raised four kids, and no one asks the guys about this. They always <laughs> ask the women. So I'm going to ask you, Scott, as a working dad, how do you balance it all? <laughs> well, I do have just a phenomenal partnership uh, with my wife, Rhonda, and it is something that we have, you know, we, we, uh, we met in that very first job we talked about at Arthur Anderson. We were in the same start class, and so while I left Anderson after two years, I certainly, the, the greatest dividend from that was yeah, that right. I, I met Rhonda. And, um, and one of the things I always had tremendous respect for her about was, one, we both had a love and very much had wanted to have a family, but, but also just... Uh, her uh, her drive professionally. Just I, I always had great great respect for for what she wanted to accomplish personally, but but knew that together we could balance that out. Yep. And so we have always done that. You know, she has always had a full time career um, outside of being an extraordinary mother and parent. And so uh, it just seems as if we've intertwined our lives in a way that we we find that balance. Now I would tell you I. Um, I, I will be the first to admit that she definitely at times carries the, the bigger uh, uh, burden or, uh, or responsibility. Uh, I do travel a little bit more and I'm, I'm sensitive to that. But, you know, we were always kind of tag theming and being supportive of all of their programs through school and sports. And um, in fact, at her at her, you know, very uh, appropriate and thankful assist, uh, uh, insistence early on in our careers when our family was young and now my kids are stagger between 26 and 16, a son and three daughters. We, uh, she used to always make sure that we'd have family dinners. So yeah. even if we both still had to work. And so what many people who've known me for a long time know is I used to come home at five o'clock, we'd have an early dinner, and then I'd go out to my business dinner. Oh yeah. But we always lived in the city. So it actually was not that complicated. I'd, you know, it, it, you know, may have forced me to work out a little harder, be really careful on yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I, uh, but those family moments that we enjoyed on a very regular basis to really have that quality time with our kids every day was was uh, was just incredible. And uh, and I you know I I, I often do say uh, you know if you asked any of my kids, my son or, or any of my daughters, you know who they admire most in the world, uh, you know they would say they would say their mother hands down. I mean just both uh, their respect for her, their love of her both as a mother, but also their respect for her in terms of what she's accomplished professionally, what she does philanthropically and as a volunteer and just, you know, she's, she's does that all with incredible love and warmth. And so we're, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate and, uh, and my kids, my kids do too. Yeah. 
But that's great that you prioritized something like that and made room for it. I think that's where people struggle is they feel like they're stretched too thin and can't do everything. And so they're kind of doing just a little bit of everything and feel like they're failing at all of it. And so to just put a stake in the ground and say, family dinner, and we are going to do this right. three nights a week, four nights a week, like whatever it is that you can do. And then you feel like you're actually doing something then. Um, versus, and I, I felt like I had to come up with those hacks and strategies. And I also made some decisions like I would be out but checking my phone or I'd be home but doing email and I thought this is not serving anyone well so if I'm out I'm out and we've made that decision and so my husband does not expect me to be checking in and and then I feel good because then I'm committed to when I'm out and then when I'm home I am home like I'll go to my office to work but I don't sit there on my phone and work at you know the table or something and so to create these lines really helps because then it makes everyone you're with feel that you're committed to them in that yeah. moment. Yeah, and that's the key, what kids want to feel. The key is, is, is be present. Right. I mean, be, be present. You, you know, doing doing everything marginally, I think at the end you'll feel as if you've done nothing well. And, yeah. and so you really do have to be disciplined in that. And I'm, I just, I'm so fortunate that, that, you know, we've had this kind of partnership in, yeah. in raising our family. Um, I mean, we can't even describe to people how busy you are. Like, it's really unbelievable what you do. And it's remarkable to me that, when someone's having a conversation with you, you act as if there is nothing else going on in your life. And that person in front of you is the most important thing in the moment. When you know that there are fires going on all over the place and your email's blowing up and did someone teach you that? Did you hone that? Is just that is that just who you are? Well, I think it's a bit of who I am. It, it is funny. I always I always tell even my kids when we when I feel they're distracted or something, I always talk about how I compartmentalize. I mean, I just, I kind of, I I, uh, I do think I really am focused on being able to uh, kind of set aside those things and get back to them, but know that if I if I allow you know multiple things to cloud any moment, that I again I, I will lose focus, and and so I you know my kids will kind of joke. He goes, Dad, you're compartmentalizing, are you? Yeah, I'm like I am. You have to compartmentalize. You have to you have to focus on what you want to focus on at that moment, and and so that is that's something I do. Yeah. No, I think it's a great um, strategy for all the early career people listening, like yeah. figuring out how to do that. Um, you're also a huge champion of mentorship, particularly around soft skills that are really critical in building a business. I'd love your reflections on what you think the biggest impact of this hybrid work environment has been on soft skills and what you're working toward at PNC yeah. to move those forward. I, you know, I, th- I think it's been very difficult, obviously. I mean, you can't, you really can't develop soft skills certainly in the way that I did through a team's call or right. through or through a virtual right. environment it really is through you know I certainly consider our industry an apprenticeship yeah. and so it's not necessarily what you learn in a particular meeting it's really what you learn uh, uh, you know on the on the fringe of that meeting what happened right before or right after what are the additional conversations you've had or if you are uh, engaging with a client um, it is uh, it is the conversation, the unstructured conversation you have. I find as we, you know, listen, technology has been phenomenal in terms of our productivity, and it, we're fortunate that we have been able to continue to be effective in what we do. But it really, I do worry about the impact it'll have on the people we develop uh, for future generations uh, if we don't really, con- you know, reintroduce those experiences. Um, communication skills as well. I, I really worry, you know, the art of of you know of conversation and the art of, of writing in, in ways that aren't aren't simple you know short thoughts through a text or a, you know they, they, all of those things uh, I think continue to need to be developed and I think we've had the last couple of years we've you know we've we've lost some of that progress so you asked about PNC you know we you know we are um, 
you know, we don't believe in, it's just not, it doesn't align with our culture to say that we have to have mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we do set a firm expectation that we want people to spend time uh, together with their colleagues or, in, right. or certainly with our clients in the marketplace um, in person. And, and we think that, that that is a part of to be successful within our company, our industry. That is, that is not really a negotiable. Now, there are certain roles and responsibilities that you know, many industries have now created remote options around. But, but certainly any of the client-facing and engaging roles um, across our businesses do, uh, you know, do require that you know, the, those skills to be developed. And, and a big part of banking is trust. And so when you think about how do I develop trust with, a, with another individual or someone who's making decisions on who to do business with, uh, you know, we're not transactional. You know, we are, we are relation-oriented. Relation we, um, you know, we certainly have to have the products and services and capabilities to, to solve problems, to, be, to create value with the companies or individuals that we're working with. Uh, but we also have to do it in the backdrop of knowing that we've got an entrusted relationship right. and that we're doing that. And that, that is where, uh, you know, as we move forward, we've got to continue to, to refresh and prioritize that. Right. Uh, and that's really what's going to make a difference. Right. The customers do not buy products and services from businesses. People buy products and services from people. That's I mean, right. no matter that's what. Right. Like, you know, part of it, too, is just... is. You know, having fun. I mean, when you join a company and you're and you and I want obviously I want people to join PNC for a career, not not a particular job. And and we we really work hard on helping people to develop their career plans and determine and very supportive of cross line of business movement and really and not looking at it as if I'm I'm you know kind of committed only to one path. Right. Um, but that doesn't happen. That connectivity, that awareness, even of what we do as an industry or within our company, doesn't happen unless you are present. Unless you have, you've right. built an internal network and are connected and are listening and engaged or aware or experienced. Um, and so, you know, so we're, you know, we are doing all we can to create that balance, but also um, create the flexibility in, you know, in the complexities of life uh, to allow people also to enjoy that balance. Yeah. So you love Chicago. You have been here through lots of the ups and downs. What would you like to see the city focus on, maybe do differently in the next five to 10 years? What is our greatest potential? Well, you know, there are a couple of things. We, you know, we live in a very competitive country and the cities all over the country are, um, are competing for, to, you know, to have companies that are based in Chicago to, to consider alternatives. And so I, we really need to continue to work together to create a great environment um, for companies to invest and expand here, to, which which then of course creates job opportunities. Um, but in the backdrop of that, we we also uh, need to continue to work to ensure that we're not leaving anyone behind. We need to work on on providing the resources, the education, the economic development, and opportunity in all of our neighborhoods, all of our communities. You know, right now we're experiencing you know a historically low unemployment, but we have communities in Chicago that still experience very high unemployment. We've got to find ways. To uh, you know, to, to create opportunities, you know, for for our our fellow citizens throughout all neighborhoods to to be able to participate in that and really to help to create uh, and build generational wealth. And so we're gonna we're certainly gonna focus on um, ways in which we can help to participate in that. Um, and then you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say we've also got to focus on public safety. And some of it all ties together because we, you know, we want people to feel uh, safe and wandering our beautiful city and experiencing the wonderful, uh, you know, resources and assets it has. And um, and frankly, we want our streets crowded. There's nothing better than than uh, you know the people to uh, 
to create and really help to leverage what, a, what an amazing and world-class city we have. Well, thank you for staying here and digging in and not uh, leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate committed. it. I am very committed. I yep. know. Um, okay. One thing we like to do is this rapid fire okay. questions. Uh, okay. Don't overthink it. All We've right. got a ton of them. We're just going to go fast. Right? Okay. All right. Morning person or night owl? Morning. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Sweet or salty? Salty. Dogs or cats? Dog. Last show you binge watched and loved? Uh, uh, Yellowstone and its prequels. Yeah. Big fan. First concert you ever went to? Uh, maybe Foreigner. Foreigner. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Favorite vegetable to grow? All right. I, I do not grow vegetables. I'll okay, just say I'll my, my favorite it. vegetable is uh, broccoli. <laughs> okay, I'll re-ask. Favorite okay. flower to grow? Ah, uh, Either peonies or tulips. Oh, peonies are so pretty. The problem is they only bloom like I for know, like a week. I, know, I mean, but, it's, but it's great. Yep. They are really great. Uh, you're also a big DIY person, I know, but what is a DIY project you definitely call a professional in for? Not going to try it. Plumbing. Plumbing. Water leaks are just... Do too much damage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to take a chance. Um, my husband does plumbing, but his is electrical. He's, he just doesn't want to yeah. touch it. First thing you like to do in the morning? Work out. How many days a week do you work out? You know, ideally something every day, but really? certainly at least five days a week. Very impressive. If you could say something to your younger self graduating high school in Tucson, mm. what would you say to him? I would... Uh, you know, I'd probably encourage him not to be, not always to be so concerned about what other people think, to, to be willing to take more chances and to have more fun on that journey with that backdrop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably what I'd do. This has been great. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much for being here. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Margaret. And obviously, we all appreciate your leadership at the Executives Club doing a phenomenal job. Thank you. Oh, it's an honor. Well, you know, you're on the hiring committee, so <laughs> I have you to thank, too. Well, we, were, we got lucky. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.